Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 1. This is Lesson 9. We're coming to the end of this particular term. So, following the healing of the paralytic, the next event that occurs is the call of Matthew, also known as Levi, and is brought out in all three synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, here we see Jesus going from forgiving a man of his sins to calling a man out of sin and into ministry. Something that is not going to sit well with the religious leaders of the day. You can understand why, huh? Tax collector, guy that rips everybody off, is being called into ministry. Okay. But as William Hendrickson points out, as a tax collector, experienced in writing and in keeping records, and of necessity versed in more than one language, the services of Matthew would be very valuable to Jesus and to the cause of the gospel. To the mediator... This man was indeed a gift of God. He was destined to write and preserve for all his contemporaries and for posterity a record of Christ's words and deeds, which is the Gospel of Matthew. However, we receive the impression from the very brevity with which Matthew records his call, omitting any mention of the cost to himself, that he was modest and humble. So he didn't say too much about his coming into the ministry. And that in itself is quite admirable. Now in looking at this event, as always, we will be considering all three accounts in our study. And we're going to jump between accounts, depending on which one gives us the most information and insights, so that we get the full story. This is going to be fun. Okay, so we'll be jumping around. We'll begin in Mark's Gospel, because it's the only one that actually ties together the last event that occurred with the next one. By saying in Mark chapter 2 and verse 13, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitudes came to him, and he taught them. Now notice the verse begins by saying that he went out again by the sea, meaning that following the incident with the healing of the paralytic, Jesus has left his house, decided to take a walk along the Sea of Galilee. All right? But as soon as the people knew where he was, they once again began to gather around him, with the literal text actually saying that all the people kept coming to him. So even though it says all the multitude came to him, the actual text, literal text says they kept coming to him. So they just didn't come. It wasn't like an advertised meeting, okay? Be there at six. They were just continually coming to him. So you can, you can, begin, to, you can begin to see what's actually going on. He does this incredible miracle, tells the guy to take off because it's going to get ugly in there. Okay, and then he, he takes some time out to go out and take a walk. You know, this is his quiet time, and this is what happens. All of these people start coming to him. Obviously, they would have known what happened. Amen? And um, you can begin to understand, it's important to get the literal text on things, because then you get a deeper understanding of what is actually going on. It sets the scene. So in other words, as R. Kent Hughes puts it, the people came after him in wave after wave. And it says, he taught them. Isn't that interesting? All right? They all want to come to this miracle worker. And his interest is to teach them. It's not to do another miracle. It's to teach them. Okay. It is important to note that not once did Jesus ever turn anyone away that was hungry for God's word, regardless of how convenient or inconvenient it was for him. If they were hungry, he fed them. And sometimes in the natural too, as we're going to see. And when he had finished teaching them, Jesus then resumed his walk along the shore. 
with Luke chapter 5, verse 27, which parallels Mark 2.14, going on to say, After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. So, are you getting an idea, a feel for what's going on here? Okay, so the paralytic is healed, goes out for a walk, people are coming to him, he ministers to them, okay, and now he's walking. So, those are the things that this is after. Okay, alright. Okay. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. And these are, these are all the references, where all that comes from. Sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Now, in his commentary, Arkent Hughes explains that the Romans collected their taxes through a system called tax farming. Similar to farming out franchises such as McDonald's, okay? They assessed a district, a fixed tax figure. So they will look at a district and say, okay, it's going to be, this is how much we want. Okay? All right. A fixed tax figure. Then sold the right to collect the taxes to the highest bidder. The buyer had to hand over the assessed figure at the end of the year and could keep whatever he gathered above that. The obvious potential for extortion was compounded by the poor communication characteristic of ancient times. So the people had no exact record of what they were to pay. How would they know? You know, they come into the tax collector, he says, oh, it's 20 bucks today. Could have only been five. The system consisted of two categories of taxes. First, there were um, stated taxes... Okay, uh, there's a footnote for the details about that, in which there was not much room for extortion, but in the second area of taxes, which was duties, there was ample opportunity for abuse. The people paid separate taxes for using roads and docking in harbors. There was a sales tax on certain items, as well as import and export duties or duty tax. A tax was even paid on a cart. In fact, each wheel was taxed. That not that something? <laughs> okay? So better not have a six-wheel cart, because you're going to get taxed more. It's, it, I mean, when you think about it, now, you know, let's think about this for a minute. It sounds funny to us, but it would mean, if you had more wheels, okay, would mean that you're carrying more cargo, okay? And these guys are really smart. So they reckon if you needed six wheels, you know, because if, if we said, oh, it was for one cart, it was 20 bucks, well, you build a cart that had like an 18-wheeler cart, you know what I'm trying to say? And you, you, know, you just haul all of this stuff through for 20 bucks, and the next guy comes in with his you know, couple of watermelons and a two-wheel cart, and he has to pay 20 bucks as well. You know, see what I'm trying to say? Okay, so they look at it and say, hey, 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 18-wheeler, you got to pay for all the wheels. Hello, okay? It's quite clever when you think about it. Okay, so, so just, just want you to get a kind of picture of what's going on here, Okay. So Levi, which is Matthew, would have been collecting taxes on every caravan that used the main roads, and every ship that came into harbor, and on every occasion, he was the one who would decide on how much he would charge them. As William MacDonald points out, he was a Jew, but his occupation was very un-Jewish, considering he collected taxes for the despised Roman government. Such men were not always noted for their honesty. In fact, they were looked down upon like harlots, as the scum of society. As a result, Arkent Hughes explains that these Jews could not serve as a judge or a witness in a court session, and were in fact excommunicated from the synagogues. They were the lowest of the lowest, 
All this made Jesus dealing with Levi, the tax collector, remarkable. Are you getting the picture here? There was a lot of leeway to play around. Okay, you could decide what you wanted, how much you wanted, from whom you wanted. There were mates' rates. Uh, you getting this? Okay. <laughs> it's not like they had books that they could check. And you charge, you know, Harry five bucks and, you know, sues you a dollar. How come she gets a dollar? Well, we like her, you know, whatever. It, it was just, I mean, you can see what's going on here, right? The guy in front of you gets charged 20 bucks and when it's you, it's 50 bucks. Wouldn't that just drive you crazy? Well, what could you do? You can see now why people would just really come to hate tax collectors. All right, with a passion. So they could become your best friend or your worst enemy. I could say more, but let's leave it there. All right, so with regard to the two different names that are used to identify this one individual, William Hendrickson writes, Mark and Luke call this man Levi, but he calls himself Matthew, meaning gift from Jehovah. When was his name changed from Levi to Matthew? It is possible that from the beginning, the man here had two names. Alternatively, there are some who believe that it was given to him by Jesus, just as Simon had his name changed to Peter. Ultimately, it makes no difference which you choose to believe. Next, as to him sitting at the tax office, William Hendrickson says that he was actually sitting in or near the entrance of the tax collector's booth, the place where the tariff was collected on any merchandise that passed along the international highway between Syria and Egypt. And to this Jewish tax collector, a person that had been labeled a traitor to his own people, and the least likely person to ever be considered for ministry, that Jesus now turns and does the most unreligious thing possible and says, follow me. Wow. Now this, is, this, this would have been utterly amazing for everyone in Capernaum. And if, if appearances mattered, as most religious organizations say they do, then Jesus made a huge mistake when he decided to choose this individual to become an apostle. In fact, according to one commentator, by calling Levi to personal fellowship and service, Jesus would have offended many, raising questions in their mind about his own judgment, loyalty, and purity. But as Arkend Hughes points out, this, of course, was to become one of the trademarks of Jesus' ministry. As such notables as Mary Magdalene and many other nameless men and women would attest, Jesus saw a man in Levi, not a category. And he knew what that man could become. And so as soon as Jesus said, follow me, it goes on to say in Luke chapter 5 and verse 28, so he left all, rose up, and followed him. We need to talk about this a little bit, huh? All right, there's a lot of different things here. Jesus did something that people today wouldn't generally do. Okay, I'm not saying they wouldn't do full stop. They just wouldn't generally do. Generally, relig religious organizations, and, you know, and the press goes after things like this. Can you imagine the Jerusalem you know, newspaper, you know, whatever their rag is? Okay, they would have said, oh, Jesus hires tax collector. To be one of the chief in his ministry. You know, I mean, this would have just... Uh, you can just see all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody is looking to throw a stone at him. Alright? Would go, uh-huh, see? You know, look at the kind of people he's hiring. Immediately, you know, it would put him in a not so good light. You know what, what was interesting? Because Jesus was righteous, because he had nothing to hide, he could do things like this. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all kinds of things to hide. So on the outside, they always look like whitewashed tombstones. Whereas, whereas the Bible says, and Jesus said, inside you're full of dead men's bones and extortions and all kinds of things. There was a long list, by the way, and we're going to get to that. When, when Jesus kind of takes the gloves off, we're going to learn a lot about these guys. Okay, I've been throwing little things here and there, and generally about the same thing, but when we get to a place where he starts to literally just level an attack on them, I mean, he just shows them up for who they really are. And so they start losing credibility with the people, which is the reason why they had to discredit him and get rid of him. Do you understand? See, we need to understand the complex nature of what was happening. And that's the reason why the, the, the gospel writers wrote their accounts to show, because their argument, the religious leader's argument was, if he was such a good person, how come he got crucified? They won't tell you that they, you know, there were trumped up charges, and everything they did basically was illegal from beginning to end. Alright, they won't tell you that part. And again, that's the way people are. You know, they just look at the overall picture, and they just go with that. It's never in the overall, it's always in the details. Do you understand? And so, don't ever let people just, you know, make blanket statements because it's never right. Let me get back to something else here because I want to talk about some different things here. If you have nothing to hide, if you have a clear heart and clear conscience before God, then it doesn't take a lot if God says to do something, okay, that might be a little bit damaging, okay, in, in a normal sense to your ministry. Hello. Can I remind everyone it's not our ministry, it's God's ministry. Amen? And this is where a lot of people miss it. Okay? And the thing is that if the Lord, if, if the Father said, call this guy. See, Jesus didn't call people. Now, you know, we can see all the reasons why it would have been good for Jesus to have Matthew and stuff. But Jesus didn't pick Matthew for that reason. Jesus picked Matthew because God said, pick Matthew. See, we need to come back to that. Alright? Because we are to walk by faith, not by sight. And a lot of times, once you do, once you answer the call to God, once you answer His leading, when He says do this and He leads you to do something, if you follow that leading, you'll find out why later. Trust me, you'll know all the reasons why. But you may never know to begin with. That's the walk of faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Now, some people have taken that and said, oh yeah, faith means you do dumb things. No, <laughs> okay? That's just doing dumb things. Alright? Faith means that just because you can't figure out why you've been asked to do something, doesn't mean you don't do it until you find out why. You do it and you'll find out why. You don't and you never will. Okay? Very rarely do you find out later on, oh, I should have done that because. Very rarely. Okay? Just letting you know. Okay. And I, I think it's tremendous that Jesus says, follow me. And watch what it says. He left all. Now, how many times did it take for Peter, you, don't, you guys don't know this, for Peter, James and John to make a decision? It was three times. Do you all know that? Three calls before they were willing to leave everything and follow him. Matthew, tax collector. Not the highest kind of guy in society. You know, morals probably a little bit shaky. Character, mm. Jesus says, follow me. And he follows him. He leaves everything and follows him. Now, let me just continue. You, you need to see this, amen? In all three accounts, we are told that Levi 
immediately and decisively got up and followed Jesus. But it is only here in Luke's account that we are told he left all to do it. Isn't that beautiful that Luke wrote that down? Hmm? Matthew didn't write it down. Luke wrote it down. Luke is very detailed, isn't he? You know, he's a doctor. You all know that? Okay. You know, when he gets stuff, he wants to know all the deeds. And he goes, what, what really happened here? And he goes, really? He did that. So he recorded it. And I think, praise God, that was awesome. Leon Morris writes, Jesus saw Levi and said, no more than follow me. Levi left everything and followed him. This must have meant a considerable, considerable sacrifice. For tax collectors were normally wealthy. Matthew must have been the richest of the apostles. Interesting that Jesus didn't have a problem calling a rich person. Are you getting this? Okay, because just you know, religious people today, <gasps> filthy lucre. You know, we don't want to touch any of that stuff. And anybody that's got it is filthy too. Oh, and this guy's a tax collector. So this is a rich tax collector that Jesus calls into ministry. We should not miss the quiet heroism in this. If following Jesus had not worked out for the fishermen, they could have returned to their trade without difficulty. But when Levi walked out of his job, he was through. They would surely never take back a man who had simply abandoned his tax office. You all know who the day is? Okay, the Roman government. His following Jesus was a final commitment. Are you all with me? It's very interesting, isn't it? How much Matthew gave up. Okay. In short, Matthew's sacrifice was total. However, as William MacDonald so wisely points out, it might seem like a great sacrifice at the time, but in eternity, it will be seen as no sacrifice at all. As the missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. Okay. Next, with regard to the number of disciples Jesus now has, William Hendrickson writes, By this time Jesus had already gathered around him the following disciples. Alright, so there's Simon, who's Peter, and Andrew, James and John, and according to John's Gospel, also Philip and Nathaniel. Whether or not any others had been called is not indicated. If not, then Levi, Matthew, was Christ's seventh disciple. And so it goes on to say in uh, Luke chapter 5 and the first part of verse 29, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Now, I would love to just talk about what's going on here. Um, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Here is an individual that the Jews look down on, they probably spat in his direction. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, you pay your taxes, spit on the ground and walk away. Yeah, Jews can be like that. You know I mean? They just get so religious and so icky, all right? You can just imagine. Can I just paint a picture? You know I like doing this? Okay. All right. <laughs> Movie night. All right. If I could just paint this picture. Jesus is walking <clears throat> and he comes up. Matthew sees Jesus coming. He knows who this is. See, he would have known to say, to, to actually get up and follow him, he would have known who Jesus was. Can we conjecture a little bit now? I'm just thinking, Matthew is sitting there. He's looking up. And he goes, oh, it's Jesus. This guy calls a spade a spade. And I mean, this guy knows what's going on. And he doesn't hold back. 
What do you think Matthew is thinking right now? Can, can we just be honest? Here comes a prophet of God. He knows this guy comes from God. This, this, is, not, this is not like all those other fakes. Here is Jesus, okay? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and came up to Matthew. Okay? So I want you to think about what Matthew is thinking. What are his words? He suddenly notices Jesus is actually coming to him. He's not going to pass him by. He's actually headed towards him. I think, you know, again, just as me, okay? I think his heart did a little pity patter. Okay? <laughs> He's going, oh dear God, here it comes, the wrath of God. And if this guy says something, I'm gone, I'm, I'm dead, I'm finished. He heals people, I'm sure he can kill a few. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? You know, I mean, if the guy can do it, man, he can do whatever. You don't know, okay? And Matthew, I, I just think Matthew was sweating. I think Jesus was... <laughs> You know Jesus. You know, he was looking and he probably knew exactly what was going on with Matthew. And because you need to get something here. You know, if we're making a movie, there needs to be so much that is unsaid, but that's there. And I'm just thinking that as Jesus is walking up to Matthew, and Matthew got beads coming down, you know. And then Matthew goes from seeing Jesus to seeing Jesus' eyes. And I think he suddenly realized he isn't here to tell me off. I think Jesus always had love in his eyes. And I think as he was approaching Matthew, Matthew went from just seeing the whole figure to actually what was on his face. And it wasn't condemning. And I think Matthew would have been sitting there going, this is different. I don't think this guy is going to tell me off. And if I know Jesus, okay, I think he would have smiled at Matthew as he started getting closer. You know what that would have done? It would have just melted Matthew's heart. Because nobody smiles at him. Whenever they come to him, there's hatred and anger and bitterness. Are you all with me? And here comes Jesus. Somebody that Matthew has heard about. Somebody that went into a temple and cleaned it out. You don't think that went out around town? He probably would have had a nickname, you know. The temple clearer or something. I don't know. Can't come up with something else. But, you know, I mean, this guy went in there and did that. And he heals on the Sabbath. I'm, but he heals. I mean, this guy is incredible. Because remember, waves of people are coming to him. You don't think people were talking to each other as they went up to pay their taxes? You're with me? Okay. So I believe Matthew got a lot of insight into Jesus. And so he didn't know what to make of Jesus. Jesus walks out to him. And I think Matthew went from fear to, I don't have to be afraid. Jesus wasn't going to reject him. And I just believe he walked right up with a smile on his face. And I think by that time, Matthew's heart was just melted, man. He was just like, Jesus could say, get up and do a jig. He would have done it. Now listen, listen. Be careful when people are in a position where they are susceptible to anything that you say, you handle that with care. Amen? And I believe that Jesus looked at him, and I think he saw something in him. And I'm wondering, now this is all me, okay? I'm wondering if in Matthew's heart, he was saying, Jesus, if you ask me to follow you, I will right now. I'm just wondering. Because of the response. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, if you predetermine something, all you're waiting is for somebody to say, come. And you're like, yeah, I'm there. You know, on the inside, you're already, you know, you're halfway there already. Again, conjecture. 
But I just believe, knowing Jesus for who He was, knowing Matthew for everything that he had gone through and all the guilt that he would have been carrying, and seeing Jesus come up to him, somebody I believe that he really um, looked up to, hmm? and say something like this. I think Matthew just went, wow, yes. You know why I know all of that? Because he throws him a party. Hmm? Okay. All right. Let's take a break. <laughs> just ran out of time. Uh, we'll, come, we'll come back and pick up at verse uh, 29 in the next session.